0: Today from the Global Lane, desperate time of Taliban torment. Afghan Christians undercover, fleeing for their lives.
1: The Taliban are looking for people uh, who have left Islam and are now following Jesus.
0: Afghan females raped, murdered and forced from their jobs and schools. Who is speaking up for their rights? Even the U.S. Vice President remains silent.
2: She's the most, ostensibly the most powerful woman in the world. Where is she?
0: Dealing the election? Ballot envelope polls reveal voter choices in California's gubernatorial recall election.
3: If you vote yes, that shows through. Uh, It's really corrupt.
0: And it's all right here on the Global Lane. With an August 31st evacuation deadline approaching, Americans and thousands of Afghans are still massing at the Kabul airport, hoping to escape the Taliban. More than 40,000 people have been evacuated since mid-August, and thousands more are expected to leave by the deadline. But what about those left behind, especially members of Afghanistan's tiny Christian community? Their lives are in danger, so what can be done for them? Well, here to provide us with some insights is John Weaver, a humanitarian relief worker. Mr. Weaver has served the people of Afghanistan for more than 20 years. He knows the country well. He's author of the book Inside Afghanistan, a mission of mercy to a war-torn people before 9-11 and beyond. John, it's good to have you with us again. So Afghans and Americans are still desperate to get out. Does this kind of remind you of 20 years ago, just after 9-11, when the Northern Alliance took up arms and American bombing began? How is it similar or different?
1: Yes, Gary, in some ways it's very similar. The events of 9-11, as you know, mobilized the whole world to think of Afghanistan and to pray for Afghanistan. And here now, 20 years later, similar events are happening that's bringing Afghanistan to the world's attention. So God must be wanting to do something in that land. And we're thankful for how people are praying. But it's a challenging time for our brothers and sisters now in Afghanistan. Yeah, many scrambling
0: to get out. It seems the Biden administration trusts the Taliban to protect American lives before the August 31st deadline. Now, you're extremely knowledgeable about the Taliban. To what extent can they be trusted, John? What do you say?
1: Well, it's hard to know if we really can trust the Taliban, Gary. This is Taliban 2.2, so it's different than 20 years ago. But there's still a radical Sunni group. They still promote Sharia law. uh, But we are praying that in God's mercy, as you already said, thousands of people have left via the airport. There's thousands in lines now waiting, and we're going to trust that many more can get out. But as you mentioned, our big heart and concern is for those that will be called to stay and be left behind that God would be with them through these challenging times.
0: And, John, I remember when we met in Afghanistan, you've always been very positive about the country. There's a lot of information, though, and disinformation going around about the status of Afghanistan's tiny Christian community, former Muslims. They're now followers of Christ. And I saw one report that's circulating on social media saying that the Taliban are going door-to-door killing Christians. Another says letters have been sent to house church leaders warning that the Taliban knows who they are and they're coming for them. So what's the truth? Set it straight for us. What are Christians telling you?
1: Well, Gary, Afghanistan's a big country the size of Texas, but it is true in certain locations. The Taliban are aware of followers of Jesus because there have been followers of Jesus now for years. And they have been known and they've shared their faith and they've led people to Christ and they've started house churches. And so we want to pray because they are receiving threats. They are in danger. Many of them have fled their hometown to other cities. Some have even crossed into border countries. Some have even left through the Kabul airport. So, yes, it is true. The Taliban are looking for people uh, who have left Islam and are now following Jesus. And so it's a desperate time for our brothers and sisters. And we need to stand in prayer with them and advocate for their situation.
0: John, the Taliban have always been doing that, looking for Christians or those who they consider apostates. Uh, What's different now? Are they actually dragging them from their homes and killing Christians? What's the truth there?
1: Well, the difference now is that they're in control. So in the past, if they were not completely in control, they were limited in what they could do. But you're right. their, Their agenda is directly against the advancement of God's kingdom. But in this case now, they've become the bully or they become the, the powerhouse. And so yet, sadly, they're, they're using and abusing that a power that they have. And they are going house to house. And, and, and it's not just targeted against Christians. I mean, it's people that have helped for the, you know, with the American government. And just anyone that's different and not embracing Sharia law is, is under threat right now. But our main concern is for uh, God's people there that they would weather this storm and advance God's kingdom through the difficult challenges. They're like sheep among wolves, Gary. I know people are familiar with that film and that concept in Luke chapter 10, but that's really the image that describes what our brothers and sisters are facing right now in Afghanistan. So
0: so John, if they are not being murdered right now, Christians are definitely under threat.
1: They are definitely under threat. Gary, it's very likely that some have already laid down their life um, But yet, at least in our main networks, thankfully, none of the main leaders have reported that yet because many of them have fled to a different location or they're in hiding uh, or they've moved or we've helped them relocate. But yes, they are being hunted. They are being targeted. And it is a danger, extreme danger that they're in right now. And John,
0: one concern is if all of them leave, who will remain to be salt and light and share the gospel with Afghanistan? Your thoughts on that?
1: yeah, Gary, so our heart is that some might be called to leave, and if they want to leave, we're trying to help them. But many feel called to stay. They know this is you know their home country. and now, as citizens of God's kingdom, they want to be salt and light. They want to stay. Some are willing to embrace the suffering or persecution that might uh, that might come. and and we're going to trust that some of the second and third, fourth generation believers that are there will be able to weather the storm. Many of them are not so high profile, meaning it's the leaders that have been involved for many years that are far more publicly known. And so when you think second, third, fourth generation of believers or house church movements, uh, some of them are under the radar. And we're trusting that God would give them grace to stay and they would see the fulfillment of the Great Commission, the gospel spreading to every tribe and nation throughout Afghanistan.
0: And finally, quickly, John, how should we pray for them? What should we pray at this time?
1: Yeah, please pray. We know God's with them, but pray they would know that. They would know the goodness and the mercy of God, the voice of their good shepherd. He would be with them in the suffering. And if they do have to flee, that that, that we and others could help them, different organizations that are involved. But let's pray for those that will stay, that they will remain true and faithful. And Gary, let's remind listeners to pray for the salvation of the Taliban. It's one of the largest unreached people groups, the Pashtun people. Let's pray. Surely God has highlighted his heart is for the nations and for the peoples of Afghanistan. Let's pray that this would further the advancement of God's kingdom, the spread of his gospel among the Pashtun people.
0: Okay, John Weaver, humanitarian relief worker, author of the book Inside Afghanistan, A Mission of Mercy to a War-Torn People Before 9-11 and Beyond. Thanks, John, for being with us.
1: Thank you, Gary. Bless you, brother.
0: Christians aren't the only ones expecting to suffer as the Taliban solidifies control over Afghanistan. Gains made for females during the past 20 years in education and employment are already being reversed. What does the future portend for Afghan women and girls? Well, here with more is Jennifer Stefano. Ms. Stefano is a Republican strategist and a fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. She's also vice president of the Commonwealth Foundation. Jennifer, thanks for being with us. You hear a lot from the Biden administration about equity for transgenders, for women in American society. But with a sudden takeover of Afghanistan, we're not hearing much about protecting the rights of women there. Why is Washington silent on that?
2: Well, that's right. It seems as though um, women only matter every four years or when the left is using us as a political pawn against um, their someone they disagree with, say like Brett Kavanaugh, all of a sudden women and what we have to say matters. In this instance in Afghanistan, our president has failed to honor his commitments. He has failed to live up to the standard he says that he is going to help and take care of women. And now you see the devastation this is going to take on the 18 million Afghan women and girls uh, that once lived under our aegis, that lived free because of the Americans, are now going to become victims because of the decision of the Biden administration. And sadly, even our own president in the united states is not showing the care and concern for women and girls and by the way where is our female vice president this was supposed to be some watershed moment for women and girls around the world she's the most ostensibly the most powerful woman in the world where is she what is where is her words where are her actions where where is she to to advocate on women's behalf she's not there
0: let's talk some specifics here and remind people who don't remember from 20 years ago 20 25 years ago i do because i've covered it for 40 years Afghanistan. Shabana Basij Rasik, the founder of a girls' school in Afghanistan, along with 250 students and staff, have fled the country. And Ms. Rasik remembers how she was treated by the Taliban 25 years ago when she was a young school-age girl. So to protect her students, she destroyed all the records identifying them. So what would likely have happened to these girls and others if she hadn't done that? What does the future hold for them, female students in Afghanistan?
2: AS WE AS AMERICANS UNDERSTAND THE FUTURE, THERE IS NOT ONE FOR THESE WOMEN AND GIRLS. IF YOU SEE THE HEADLINES TODAY, THE TALIBAN IS SAYING WOMEN SHOULD STAY INSIDE, GIRLS SHOULD STAY INSIDE, THAT THE SOLDIERS ARE NOT, QUOTE, TRAINED um, TO RESPECT OR TREAT WOMEN WELL. AND and LET'S BE REALLY CLEAR, IF WE'RE LOOKING AT THE HISTORY OF THE TALIBAN AND, and we, WE REALLY CAN'T LOOK AT ANYTHING ELSE. Um, this is not going to change. Things are not going to get better for these women. And the women, the average age of women in Afghanistan is 19 and a half years old. These are young girls. They lived almost all their lives under the aegis of the United States. They they lived free. They were being educated. And all that, all that is being taken from them because of President Biden failure to plan, to think of what would happen to these women, to have in any way adequately, adequately prepared our nation or the Afghans for what he was about to do. This is one of the greatest and most catastrophic military maneuvers in the modern era. I, I honestly can't think of one. It, it, it makes Dunkirk look successful.
0: And last fall, Afghanistan was given a seat on the U.N. Commission on the Status of Women. The term starts this year, it ends in 4 years. Should that decision be reversed? What do you think?
2: Look I- I, I DO NOT TAKE SERIOUSLY uh, THE HUMAN RIGHT WATCH AND OTHERS THAT COME OUT FROM THE UNITED NATIONS. AND in, IN 2020, THEY ISSUED A REPORT ON THE UNITED STATES THAT um, ACCUSED THE TRUMP ADMINISTRATION OF, of HUMAN RIGHTS ABUSES on uh, DUE TO OUR FOREIGN POLICY, DUE TO THE FACT THAT WE WERE, THAT HE WAS um, MEETING WITH NORTH KOREA AND SOUTH KOREA AT THE SAME TIME. Um, and, and continued to point out policies that actually brought about uh, greater peace and brought about calm and stability in the world, whether you liked it or not, as to where today um, we're seeing a catastrophe unfold. And where was the Human Rights Watch um, before this happened? Why aren't we really addressing human rights abuses? Um, of on groups like the Taliban. Why aren't we they more vigorous on that or putting on equal footing a country like the United States just because they don't agree with the administration and, and pretending somehow that the Trump administration was harmful to women or girls because they don't like our health care policies.
0: Okay, Jennifer Stefano, Republican strategist, fellow of the Independent Women's Forum. Thank you for providing those insights. We appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Mail-in balloting has begun in California's gubernatorial recall election. It's only the second time in Golden State history that voters have cast ballots to recall their governor. What are the chances that Governor Gavin Newsom may survive recall? Well, joining us to share some concerns about potential vote fraud is Craig Huey. Mr. Huey is a political commentator and founder of Election Forum, an organization dedicated to educating and engaging Christians to vote for Christian values. Craig, it's good to talk with you. Okay, so mail-in voting has already begun in the California recall election. I know you've expressed concerns about potential vote fraud and ballot harvesting. So tell us, what is ballot harvesting? Why should we be concerned about that?
3: Well, Gary, uh, ballot harvesting is really a very corrupt thing. It's not voter fraud, but it can lead to voter fraud, and that's what's happening now in the state of California. Nineteen states have uh, have ballot harvesting as illegal 28 states it is legal and the rest of the states don't really say one way or the other what it is is this when you get a mail-in ballot anybody can pick up that ballot and uh, you can go door to door ask people for their ballots and the way they do it They act as as if this is a service. So the unions and, and the organized Democratic Party is going door to door in California right now. And they're telling people, I'll take your ballot to the poll. That increases turnout by 10 to 15%. With ballot harvesting, one person can pick up one vote, 10 votes, 100 votes, and they're unaccountable. They can take those votes to the voter box, drop them in, And nobody knows who they are.
0: One problem with that, some California voters are complaining about holes appearing in their ballot envelopes. So those ballot harvesters could look at the holes. They say the holes violate their privacy rights because they may reveal their yes or no vote. State registrars say the holes are there to, I guess, help visually impaired people. Also to reveal if an envelope is empty when the ballots are processed. So what do you think about concerns over ballot envelope holes?
3: it's gotta be something that is intentional. Now, the holes have been around before, but the way that Los Angeles County, for example, designed the hole that if you vote yes, that shows through. So a postal employee of the organized union that's a Bernie Sanders organized union or somebody at an election station, they could throw away anything that doesn't say yes. So all of a sudden you don't have the secrecy of the ballot Your vote is revealed in these holes. Uh, It's really corrupt, Gary.
0: And a yes vote means you want him recalled. Is that correct?
3: That is correct. There's two issues on California's ballot. The first one, recall Governor Newsom, yes or no. And right now, it's like a tie. It could go either way. And, And then the second question is, who do you want to have as the new governor? and and you vote for a list of 47 candidates running, and um, whoever gets the plurality wins the election. Gavin Newsom is not on that list. If he loses, then who's ever on that list will be the governor who gets the most. For example, right now, Larry Elder has about 24% of the popular vote in the polls. That's the highest of any candidate, and he would become governor of the state of California with 24% and there's no runoff.
0: Well, I know a lot of Christians like him. He's a radio talk show host. He's a conservative and a very committed Christian, uh, but with a little political experience, but maybe that's what they want. So you mentioned concerns about ballot harvesting, but ballots were sent out to all registered California voters. So why did the legislature do that? How concerned are you about that potentially leading to vote fraud?
3: Well, so here's the thing. Whenever you have mail-in ballots going to dirty rolls where where there's people who have died or moved away and multiple ballots are going to households, when you have mail-in ballots where uh, everybody can uh, grab a ballot, for example, uh, there is now uh, proof of people going to apartment complexes. And once the ballot is delivered, they open it up at night, take all the ballots out, and they're going to fill those out. There's a man who was just arrested in a city called Torrance, California, and he had 300 ballots in the back of his seat. And, and the of the, the voters says, oh, it, 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 that's not voter fraud. You know what? We are right now taking a look at, uh, at Newsom stealing this election because of ballot harvesting and these mail-in ballots, which can be so abused. When you have a situation where everybody gets it, you're going to have people uh, throwing them away. You're going to have people uh, uh, at nursing homes who have no intention or no capability, and then they have what's called Grammy harvesting, where the organized unions send people into the uh, uh, nursing homes and just pick up the ballots and fill them out. That's why this is such a, a an election that could be wrought with fraud. and while he should lose, Newsom should lose, he might pull it off because of this ballot harvesting.
0: Well, a lot of concerns not only in California, but for the next election nationwide, ballot fraud. The potential is there. Craig Huey, founder of Election Forum, thank you for sharing your time and insights today. Thank you, Gary. Is American Christianity in decline? A new survey of born-again Christian adults between the ages of 18 and 39 found that 60% believe Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. Probe Ministries reports that Christian young adults believe Buddha and Muhammad also offer valid paths to salvation. And get this, more than 30%. Now, these are born-again Christians. 30% say Jesus sinned like we do, or they aren't quite sure if he did or not. Folks, this means two things. Number one, Millennials and Gen Zers don't really understand the foundations of the Christian faith. Only Jesus, not Buddha or Mohammed, said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No person comes to the Father except by me. Also, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And number two, American churches are doing a poor job of discipling people below the age of 40. Did you know that 50 to 80% of teens raised in the church will walk away by the time they reach age of 29? There is hope. We can revive the Christian faith in America, but it'll mean rolling up our sleeves, getting to work, through mentorship and prayer. Nearly half of all American adults say they pray every day. Two-thirds say they pray at least once a week so why not begin with prayer more churches are joining a movement called the pray for me campaign started by the executive director of the chattanooga tennessee youth network tony souder saw a need to build intergenerational relationships within the body of christ he recently told the christian post quote young people need to experience that the body of christ is a family not just an institution it's a simple task for churches all they have to do is hold an event where each student asks three adult Christians from different generations to be his or her prayer champions, praying for them throughout the school year. Listen to Tony Souter. I say I'm a 15-year-old, and but then I have a, a 30-year-old that's praying for me that I've invited, a 50-year-old that's praying for me, and a 75-year-old that's praying for me. What's happening here? It's not just the intergenerational relationships with them and me, it's the intergenerational relationships with each other. That all of a sudden, we've created a setting where a 30-year-old, a 50-year-old, and a 75-year-old are on mission together. Yes, on mission to pray and get involved in the lives of others. 650 churches from various denominations have joined the Pray For Me movement since it started seven years ago. They've created more than 150,000 intergenerational relationships. So take heart. Through prayer and by building relationships, you can help strengthen the body of Christ. You can make a difference in people's lives, not only for today, but for eternity. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on the CBN News and NRB channels, social media, and our broadcast affiliates. And until next time, be blessed.